When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Stephen Means. That's Andrew Gillis, and this is another recruiting Buckeye Talk. Listen, recruiting never stops. You get done with your 2024 recruiting class and you move on to your 2025 class, and even your 26 and 27 and 28, it never stops. Recruiting is forever. Get the text 614-350-3315 if you really want it to be forever. All news, all analysis, all everything. Two-week free trial, $3.99 after that, 614-350-3315. Andrew, you wrote a post for the site at cleveland.com slash OSU not long after the announcement that Bill O'Brien was headed to Boston College. And then 20 minutes later, Chip Kelly was coming to Columbus to be Ohio State's offensive coordinator. And given the way things are going... As of right now, Chip Kelly is the offensive coordinator. Let's see what happens in the next couple of weeks. No, I'm joking. But we talk, we spent the Tuesday pie talking about Chip Kelly and what he brings to the offense immediately. We're talking about on the field in 2024, what things might look like, the run game with the pass game and everything else in general. But he's also the quarterback's coach. He's also an assistant coach, which means there is some level of recruiting that goes into this, even if we're not maybe expecting him to be Tim Walton, Brian Hartline level with it. But he's been a head coach in college football for a long time. Can you just take us through what should people be expecting from Chip Kelly, the recruiter? What are some of his highs and what are some of his lows? Yeah, so you look at the the recruiting that Chip Kelly has done, and and we did a podcast earlier this week uh, where we talked about you know what Chip Kelly brings to the run game and, and and kind of what he can add. And one of the things that we did was we looked at Oregon because I think we all just kind of separately determined like, hey, Oregon might be a little bit better of an example because of the talent. I don't think, and and personally, I didn't really look at Oregon during this exercise, uh, you know, when you look at recruiting, just because UCLA is kind of in the more modern era of college football, right? When he was at Oregon, there was no transfer portal. There was no NIL. There was none of that going on. And I think when you look at his UCLA recruiting classes, um, they leave something to be desired, frankly. Um, you know, that was a big thing for him in, in terms of, you know, why he departed, um, you know, why he departed UCLA. In terms of his recruiting classes, like in terms of raising the uh, or bringing in freshmen, 
From 2021 to 2024, they ranked 32nd, 61st, 37th, and 87th in the uh, 247 team sports ranking or 247 sports team rankings. Um, they definitely added in the portal. So if you go look at the total rankings, those are not as, you know, unforgiving because they're bringing in a handful of players, you know, they'll, they'll go around the country and they'll bring in, you know, former top 150 recruits, you know, they're just a year into college now. Um, but the recruiting part of thing for the recruiting part of this for Chip Kelly was, um, was always kind of, was always kind of the problem. Um, and now with Ohio state, I think schematically and stylistically and systemically, it just works because forget the on-field product with the recruiting side of things. Now you get Ryan day to kind of settle into this mold where he can be the guy that is the lead recruiter for a lot of the quarterbacks. You know, he can be the guy who is going out and trying to bring these players and say, look, we're, we're going to put you in a crazy offense with Chip Kelly and we're going to put you in this great, you know, kind of scheme for you and this great, uh, you know, this great option and, and things like that. But um, yeah, the, the recruiting for Chip Kelly at UCLA, especially uh, really kind of left something to be desired. He was not pulling in great recruiting classes. And I think what this allows him to do is it allows him to, frankly, just coach ball. He just can show up, coach him up, and send him out on the field, and he'll be handed the best and most talented players that he's had in his career. So you're right. We did use Oregon as maybe a map for how we were going to talk about Chip Kelly when we talked about him on the on-the-field situation, just because in the stops he's had, that's probably the one that has the most comparisons in terms of just on-field talent but even then there is a bit of a drop-off in between what Oregon was and what Ohio State was his two years as the offensive coordinator Oregon finished with the 32nd and the number 30 classes in the country that's the 2008 class and the 2009 class and he takes over as head coach for the 2009 season and you do see a bump they go to 11th in 2010 they're 12th in 2011 and then in 2013 they're 14th excuse me in 2012 they're 14th in 2011 they're 12th 12th and so three straight years of top 15 classes that's around the time when the chip kelly era really got booming around oregon in a way that you maybe would expect that's a team that's getting to the rose bowl that's potentially in the conversation to get to the bcs so that's where it takes off and then 19th his final class in 2013 after that 2012 season and then to your point the ucla days 40th 33rd 32nd 61st in 2022 61st 61st and then in 2023 the 37th class and obviously that was headlined by Dante Moore the five-star quarterback out of Michigan who's got some strong Cleveland ties but now Dante Moore obviously off at Oregon where at yeah. least I think he's expected to be the backup quarterback behind Dylan Gabriel this year but before taking over in yeah. 2025 so to your point this is there's not an expectation for him to come in here and improve or Ohio State's quarterback recruiting, especially to take a back step because Ryan Day is still a head coach. And that's yeah. the reason these quarterbacks were coming here anyway. Yeah. So you talk to a couple of different, you know, guys and, and, you know, the people that you hear about recruiting them is, was Corey Dennis, but then it was also Ryan Day and, you know, Ryan Day being kind of at the forefront of things matters for a lot, matters for a lot of kids. Uh, CJ Stroud has heaped praise on Ryan Day multiple times like publicly throughout his rookie season. And 
that's probably the best marketing Ohio State could ask for. You got the uh, the rookie of the year in the NFL, the offensive rookie of the year in the NFL, coming out and talking about what a great college coach he has and how great of a developer of talent he is and everything like that. So I think that with the like with what's going to change, the answer is frankly not very much, and I think that that is okay. You know, I think that there were some people who you know, maybe got a little bit of, got a little bit excited when they heard Chip Kelly because they think Chip Kelly, whoa, like these offenses are unique and these offenses are great and this and that. And that's correct. You, you are right when you say that, that these offenses and these type of things are truly special and truly different. But Chip Kelly as a recruiter is not truly special or truly different. Um, you know, you mentioned Dante Moore there. That's like, you go through the history books and like that's kind of the only truly like whoa type of recruit that he uh, that he pulled. Well, I guess he pulled Mariota, but even still, like Mariota when he committed to Oregon, he was a three star recruit. Like this was not a player that showed up with fanfare. I mean, he came from Hawaii, which doesn't have a a ton of fanfare in terms of like developing these high level recruits and. It was it was just kind of one of those things where you know they developed him really well and 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 things worked out, but with Oregon, I there just was never that kind of jaw dropping wow kind of kid that you bring in. So now with Kelly, you can basically just tell him to go coach offense, go game plan, go handle all that, and let Ryan Day do everything else. Let Ryan Day bring you the ingredients. Basically, you just hired a personal chef and it is Ryan Day's job to do the shopping. Because before, Ryan Day was doing the shopping and then he was getting home and he had to make dinner and he had to do every he had to do everything. He had to clean the dishes, he had to do everything. Now, what you're telling Ryan Day is, here's the shopping list that I need to make dinner. Go do it and then get here and go do something else because I will make you dinner. And I will have dinner for the family. And that is basically what happened. And I think that that works really well. That's a weird analogy, but I want to let it rock because I've had some weird. I thought it was a good analogy, Steven. Listen, man, if you don't have a weird analogy every so often, then you're not really a part of Buckeye Talk, man. I don't think it was a weird analogy. That's, that's, listen, man, we'll let the texture decide. (laughs) 614-350-3315. Tell us if Andrew's analogy of Brian Day basically being a hunter and gatherer while Chip Kelly. Now he's just a guy. Well, now he's just the hunter gatherer and and now he doesn't have to cook it. I guess, man, if that's what works for you, I think the best way to look at this is look at Jim Knowles on the defensive side of the ball. He's not, it's not saying he doesn't, he does recruit. He does go out there on the road and recruit, but it's not why he was brought here. He was brought here to scheme and having a guy like James Laurinaitis be, even as a guy who's not officially a member of one of the 10 spots on the, coaching staff though he has been for this past open window where you could go out and see recruits because they don't have 10 but having a guy like that having tim walton having matt garrieri having larry johnson makes up for the fact that your defensive coordinator isn't much of a recruiter but it shows up on the field he's that's been so well that you can live with the fact that he's not out there recruiting now take that and make james or as the head coach who also already has proven the pudding that he can develop quarterbacks in the first round draft picks and Heisman Trophy finalists. That's what basically essentially what you're getting here. Chip Kelly, scheme. Chip Kelly, figure out what we're going to do on Saturday. Your job is to worry about second and seven in the second quarter on your on the 46-yard line, and you're trying to figure out what to run. 
Ryan Day will handle the other part. We'll get these guys here. to you. Andrew's point. The whole point you were trying to say is Ryan Day will get them here. You just if you build it, they will come. I'll get them here. Just build the thing. So that's a, a good way to look at what we should be expecting. Chip Kelly and Jim Knowles are the same in that way. They are here to scheme. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think, you know, I, I want to see how this kind of works out in practice because, you know, we would see before games and things like that, you know, Jim Knowles is out, you know, taking pictures with recruits, shaking hands, you know, doing the whole kissing babies type of uh, routine. That'll, that'll still exist. I, I, that's we- what I'm saying. I, I wonder, like, if there's a difference there, how that looks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what kind of conversations you hear about with Chip Kelly, uh, you know, because this is going to be something that we're going to have to monitor. And, you know, you've mentioned it over, I mean, really, since I got here, you know, how big these camps are for these kids, for us, for yeah. everybody, these camps yeah. in June. I'm curious, because when we get to that, when we get to that time, it'll be, we'll be like, it's like four months away. That's a healthy amount of time for recruiting to happen. You're going to get kids to visit during spring ball. You're going to have all these kind of different moments where things can happen. So, you know, for, I don't know, we'll we'll get into some of these kids later, but I want to hear about what kind of things he's telling. Oh boy. Um, I'm trying to Jordan Davison, the running back out of California at a modern Mm -hmm. day. Like, what is he like? What kind of role is Chip Kelly have there? How, How does that change things? You know, like how much does he talk to Tavian? What's the relationship with Jamie French and Philip Bell, the two receivers that are, you know, Jamie French is a five star, Philip Bell is a four star. Like, what kind of relationship do you have with those guys? And and how did Marquise Davis, the running back out of Cleveland, like, what role does Chip Kelly have in their recruitments? Because I think mm-hmm. that that's going to be pretty enlightening as to what's going on. Because if Chip Kelly is talking with Ryan Day and all these meetings and he's a pretty involved recruiter, then I think that that's going to be a little bit more interesting than just, hey, Chip Kelly makes some calls and he does kind of, you know, his job, but there's not really above and beyond here. You know, he's here to coach ball. I'm curious what what that is going to be able to tell us here over the next couple of months. And that'll be especially important with quarterbacks is correct. Who, who are your court conversation? Not, and they're going to talk to Chip Kelly. They're going to talk to Todd Fitz when they're on campus. Who's the analyst in the room who has just been, a, has been as vital to guys like CJ Stroud and Kyle McCord in their development as well. Even if he's not necessarily one of the 10 members of the coaching staff. So there's a lot of hands in that kitchen already, but when we're talking to quarterback recruits, it's going to be interesting to see who's their conversation with more often than not. Is it with Ryan day or is it with Chip Kelly or is it a mixture of both? How is that working? I think that's going to be an interesting thing to yeah. watch because Corey Dennis did a lot of the legwork when he was the quarterback's right. coach. He did a great job on the recruiting trail. Corey Dennis did a very good job here. It's just not his very best job was not going to maximize this coaching staff. And listen, you have to maximize your coaching staff. So who is doing a lot of that legwork over the next year? When you're talking about these 20, not not necessarily the 2025 class, because you've already got Tavy and St. Clair, the top 50 recruiting there. But when you're talking about the 2026 class, 2027 class, when you're looking at quarterbacks, who's doing a lot of that legwork? We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to get into some of these targets. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Andrew is planning on ranking 
in the top five Ohio State targets still left on the board. And I don't know if he was going to do this by class or he was just going to have, listen, it's just the 20, if it's just a 2025 class or it's just targets in general, I don't know. I don't know any of this. He's going to inform me just like he's going to inform you when we come back here from the break on Buckeye Talk. Ohio State's 2025 recruiting class right now was ranked fourth in the country. It has eight commits. It's headlined by two five-star cornerbacks, Naeem Offord and Devin Sanchez. It's next guy is Zaheer Mathis, top 40 recruit. As I mentioned, Tavia is there. He's not top 50, top 60, but you have, what, five top 80 recruits, and four of them are on defense. That's a very different place than we're used to seeing in Ohio State this early in the recruiting cycle. Like I mentioned, the number four class in the country, two five-star commits, both at the cornerback position. So the class is off to a hot start, but obviously there's more to be done. The class is not going to end with eight. It's probably going to be around 20 to 23 guys just because that's how often that's how Ohio State often recruits. And so we're going to get into it. It's February 14th as you're listening to this. Happy Valentine's Day, February 13th, as we're recording this. And Andrew's going to take us through the top five guys. So let's start with number five and work our way to number one. Andrew, who is the fifth most important person left on the board for Ohio State? Yeah, so there were a couple of different positions that you could really kind of consider. And again, I think that this is personal preference, Um, you know, because again, you could make an argument. It was really hard for me after like two or three, because I think that there's just so many guys. But I, I landed on Nate Roberts. Um, Nate Roberts, he's a uh, almost top 100 player. He's a uh, number number 107 in the 247 composite. He's the number four tight end uh, in the class. But this kid can play some ball. Um, he's from Oklahoma. You know, he's being pursued by Oklahoma, by Oregon. He's got a couple crystal balls out right now on 247 for uh, for Ohio State. But I think one of the things that I find interesting about that is Tavian talks to him a lot. Tavian St. Clair trying to get him in. Um, you know, the coaching staff really wants him. And you look at kind of who he is. He's 6'4", 235. This is definitely in the mold of a guy that can do a lot of different things. Um, you know, he's a good he's a good catcher of the football. Um, he's a great athlete. You know, he's got uh, family connections. His brother is a college football player as well. Like, I just... With Nate Roberts, I think you just look at this position and you're not really worried about receiver. You're not really worried about certain position, corner or certain positions on this roster. And I just, I look at him as like, man, that could be the Swiss Army knife that, that I mean, Swiss Army knife might be a bad example because he only plays tight end. But you get what I'm saying? That could be the extra level, the extra gear of this offense. Because if you can get a tight end in here, that can really make some plays that can really kind of do some, some fun things in terms of, um, you know, in, in terms of just on field play, I think that that can really open up this offense and really kind of make things dynamic for, uh, you know, 2025, probably not, but 2026 and beyond. So Nate Roberts, the tight end out of Washington, Oklahoma, he was my number five player on this list. So number 107 player, the number four tight end in the country. Ohio State's actually, uh, they just got Jelani Thurman two years ago. And so maybe pairing that guy with Jelani Thurman, who potentially could find himself having a role in his second year in 2024 after having a small role in that Cotton Bowl that maybe got even more reduced once Devin Brown went out of the game. I'm pretty sure that Keenan Bailey, the tight ends coach, went to go see Nate Roberts doing this open open window when they could go out on the road in January. Great pick. I mean, Ohio State likes to do things with its tight ends. 
And Cade Stover probably upped the expectation for what production could look like when you've got a talent to tight end in there. I mean, he was a, a Mackey Award finalist. You know, he's a t- first team all Big Ten level player. That's not the way we talked about Ohio State tight ends uh, even a couple of years ago. And it took a guy who came here as a linebacker, transitioned to defensive end, and transitioned to tight end. But now we view that position differently in terms of how productive they can be. And if Jelani Thurman is potentially next in line to be that uber productive tight end. Obviously, Will Cosmeric's probably in line to be the starter this year. But when you're talking about pass catchers, Jelani Thurman's probably the guy we're all looking at next. But you you take a guy like this, Nate Roberts out of Oklahoma. If he's looking at Cade Stover and the production he had, if he's looking at the potential production Jelani Thurman can have during his career, I get why you put that guy on this list because Ohio State loves to do things with the tight ends. And when they've got one that can be productive, they're definitely throwing him the ball. So that's number five, Nate Roberts, number 107 player, the number four tight end, one of potentially two tight ends they could take in the 2025 recruiting class, which I know we say a lot, but they like doing it, man. They want they like bringing in two tight ends in one class, and let's see if they can do it in this 2025 cycle. Who's number four, Andrew? Well, just before we get into number four, I did want to add, like I mentioned, there were a lot of really, really difficult positions. To, there were a lot of, a lot of really difficult th- uh, guys to kind of put on this list. Mm-hmm. The guy that I almost put there was Jamie French, uh, the five-star wide receiver. Uh, he's not on my list, um, but because since we're going from five to one, spoiler alert. Uh, but I, I just wanted to shout him out a minute just because I think people should kind of be aware uh, he's a five-star receiver, number 12 overall, the number three receiver in the nation. I understand that people might be looking at this going, oh, well, we don't need receivers. We always get receivers. I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, you know, they already have Javen Boggs, and everybody kind of looks at him, and everybody's kind of talking about him in the mold of a uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba and things like that. So I love French off this list just because of the position that he plays, but I do think it's important to note that, like, Ohio State is right in the mix for a five-star receiver, um, and he did not make my list. But just because he plays receiver and the way that they've recruited that position uh, was really difficult for me to add. But kind of you can see where I'm going with this. There's a theme. Uh, number four on my list was Justin Hill. Uh, he's a defensive end out of Winton Woods down in Cincinnati. He's the number 140 overall player in the 247 composite, number 13 overall edge, and the number six player in the state of Ohio. Um, this kid's a pretty athletic defensive end. I mean, he's only listed at 6'3", 220, so obviously he's going to need some uh, some kind of growth there. But this is an Ohio kid, and this is an Ohio kid at a position where you could use some some help, and especially kind of with the understanding that uh, Dominic Kirks, the player that just signed you know, a week or two ago, actually just a week ago, with Ohio State, he is coming in as a defensive end and, and, you know, things are, you know, things are setting up for him to play on the outside early. And as he evolves, they can see him playing a three tech. And if he moves inside to a three tech, then you're talking about a situation where Ohio state only took one defensive end in that 2024 class. Granted it's a five-star with, with, uh, with Edric Houston, that's still probably worrisome. And that's still probably not where you want to be, especially when you're talking about a, a room that Jack Sawyer, he's probably gone. Actually, he's definitely gone. JC Tumaloa, gone. You have Kenyatta Jackson, Caden Curry. Those guys are entering their third year now. Like You, you need to start kind of replenishing this talent. And I think that, uh, I think that uh, Justin Hill would be kind of a really nice addition there. Um, you're going to have to beat out some, some heavy teams here. You know, he's got offers from a lot of the, uh, 
a lot of the big boys, Alabama's in, Kentucky's in, Miami, Michigan, Notre Dame, Oregon, Penn State. You know, he, he's got USC, A and M. He's got he's got big he's got big time offers, and um, but you could also recruit him at nine a.m. and then be back for lunch. So this is a guy that you have to get, and this is the type of player that Ohio State would really kind of feel, you know, really not feel great about leaving their backyard. So Justin Hill, for me, the defensive end out of Cincinnati, number four. When wins, excuse me, Wooden Woods has been very good to Ohio State in recent, recent years. Obviously, you got Mayan Williams out of there as a running back before from Iowa State in 2020. He ended up having a pretty quality career here for you, made some plays. And then Jermaine Matthews most recently, the cornerback who Tim Walton had to convince to to come camp two years ago, but he did, and he turned himself into a top 50 recruit. And quite frankly, the only reason he's not a starting cornerback this year is because your starting cornerbacks all came back. But that's like that's cornerback number three on the outside in 2024 with a very, very bright future. He actually got a chance to flash that at times this year. I, I like this pick a lot. This is in the g- same hat as what we've talked, Ohio State locking down the top players in its state. And it's almost become the foundation under Ryan Day, and you're talking about a guy like Justin Hill who might not only have a high upside, but he's in your backyard and he plays a position where you are going to need to replenish the room very quickly here because at worst, at worst here, worst, worst case scenario, JT Tumaloao and Jack Sawyer are already gone, but like Kenyatta Jackson is just like so awesome that he's, I'm three and done, I'm out, or Caden Curry does the same thing. But either way, best case scenario, you keep – Kenyatta Jackson, you keep Caden Curry, Edric Houston comes along. So that was three. And then after that, it kind of gets questionable. If you're yeah. saying a guy like Dominic Kirks might end up on the interior, while there are some other guys like Joshua Mickens who might be a couple of years away from being physically ready to play as well. So this is, I, I love this pick. I think it's everything that Ohio State probably need, tries to lock in early. And that's getting the top players within its borders to lock in before yep. they even head into the summer, before their senior years of high school. And they almost become the leaders of the class. That's what makes him uber valuable. And then you add in the talent aspect of the fact that this is a top 150 recruit who he's listed at 6'3", 220. It's going to be interesting to see the next time we see him in person, which will maybe be a visit in the spring, or maybe he camps this summer to see if he's physically grown at all. Or maybe, maybe, if he stays at that size, he could be a jack one day. I'm just throwing ideas out there, but I, I like this pick a lot. This is an in-state kid who's a top 150 recruit playing a position that's already a valuable position to begin with, but also you're talking about a position where you're going to need to restock that room here very, very quickly. So that's Justin Hill, the number 145 player, and the number 17 edge rusher out of Winton Woods High School, same high school as Mayan Williams and Jermaine Matthew. Let's go with number three on your list, Andrew. Yeah, uh, Madden Ferryma, um, the linebacker out of, I believe I have that last name right, the linebacker out of J. Sarah Catholic in uh, California, in Southern California. Mm-hmm. It's just south of Los Angeles. Um, he's the number 38 overall player in the 247 composite, and number four linebacker, and the number three player in the state of California. The reason why I have him here is because think of all of the recruits that Ohio State has landed in the last handful of years in terms of high-level talent. Quarterback, yeah, you can check that box. Running back, yeah, you can check that box. Receiver, duh. 
tight end, uh, well, we'll see. You know, tight end's a little bit of a tricky situation. Um, that was one of the reasons why I had Roberts on this list. Offensive line, I understand that the offensive line is kind of an issue, uh, and we will get to the offensive line in a minute again. Uh, hint, hint. But the offensive line has kind of been a problem, and and they just got Carter Lowe. You know, you just got a top 80 player who I'm really high on. I really like Carter Lowe. And you can just go down the line of defensive players, too. You got Edric Houston. You get the corners. Um, you get, you know, you have some, you know, you had high-level safeties. I mean, you bring in Caleb Downs in the transfer portal after a year. Like, you bring in high-level players. And at linebacker, you don't really have that kind of elite-level talent. And I think that, or at least elite level recruit. I don't want. I don't want to say that. That I don't want to speak ill of Tommy Eichenberger, Steel Chambers. But that's, I think, what this class needs. And that's, I think, something that could really kind of impact this kind of future class. Because what I, I will remember this for as long as I cover college football. The first podcast we ever did together, Stephen, we talked about Kingston Villiamuasa, the kid from LA who chose Notre Dame over USC and Ohio State. And for a while, it felt like Ohio State was the lead. It felt like Ohio State was where he was going. And then all of a sudden, Notre Dame kind of jumps in the lead at the end, and they get his services. This, to me, feels like, frankly, a little bit of a do-over. Um, you know, it's another linebacker from from the uh, Southern California region. Kingston Villamuasa ended the 247 class or in the 247 composite as the number 41 overall player in the 2024 class. Uh, Faramo is number 38. Like that's it to me. Like this is a player that, you know, I'm not comparing them stylistically, but I think conceptually they're kind of similar. And I think that what it would mean for this defensive class is pretty big because you're adding, you know, defensive linemen, you know, you're adding high level defensive linemen, you're adding high level corners, getting a linebacker of that caliber, a guy who can run. I mean, he's six three two ten, and you kind of read about him a little bit. He can play like they have him as an edge rusher in certain situations. He plays as an off ball linebacker. He's got good cover skills. He plays obviously in, in, uh, in California in that Southern league. So uh, you know, that's a just a remarkably talented high school football like acumen that he's going to have coming in to wherever he goes and going out to California and beating out all of these other programs for that kid, beating out the two California, the two L.A. schools, I should say, beating out Alabama, who's involved, beating out Miami and Colorado, keeping him away from those West Coast schools, away from these kind of SEC schools that Ohio State has maybe lost some of these battles. I think winning that kid would just be a really, really nice step for Ohio State's defensive class, which is already elite. So that's why he's number three on my list. So this is the first, like, kind of reach for the skies. Aim for the stars yep. and you can – maybe you'll hit the moon. Yep, that's one, why I put it here. One Actually, <laughs> Madden actually camped last summer, and he looked the part physically. He looked like a dude who was all the 6'3", 210 pounds. In fact, he was having a nice conversation with James Laurinaitis after that camp. As you mentioned, number 38 player, the number four linebacker in the country. I, 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 I get the sentiment of – you probably need to go out there and get a highly rated linebacker. And if you circled on him, I get that because yes, they only play two consistently, but you need to have at least six in the room for the sake of depth. And 
this kid's really talented. Like I said, he can't last summer. He looked every bit of the part they offered him after that, that camp last June. And so maybe he gets back on campus this, this summer. Maybe he takes a visit or maybe this is a complete long shot. I never said the list had to these people that Ohio state is 100% going to get. It's just a list of guys. And a lot of this is just the idea of what these players can represent. And I think Madden probably, first of all, Madden is a heck of a name for a football. Oh, great. Player, name. Yeah. Great linebacker name. Elite linebacker name. I just want to make that abundantly clear. But I do think C.J. Hicks is going to be in year three now, and we'll see what ends up happening there. Maybe he, Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers are gone, so he he finally flourishes and has a role here and turns himself into a three-and-done player. Or maybe this is a guy who will still be here for in year four. We're, we're not sure. We'll, we'll see what's going on with C.J. Hicks as a former top 10 recruit in his recruiting class who came here with all the potential in the world. Gabe Powers, a top 100 recruit. He was also a five-star recruit in that 2022 class at one point when he committed. So you've got some guys you can trust there. you got – well, I didn't say trust. We're, it's early on. But you got some some options in that room but not a lot of proven options. And it's been a while to your point where since you brought in a highly rated guy who was not from your backyard, I think that's the thing I'm getting at there is Gabe Powers, top 100 recruit from your backyard. CJ Hicks, top 10 recruit, but from your backyard. When's the last time the linebacker room went out there and just won a battle for a top 50 recruit? And Madden could be a guy who could solve that issue for you if it seems like something that's realistic, which I'm I'm not sure is, is the case. But listen, sometimes you got to aim for the stars and, you know, at worst you hit the moon there. But, Andrew, let's take a quick break there. And then when we come back, we'll get into our final two people so far. You've mentioned Madden Faramu. I hope I'm saying that name correctly. Faramo, Justin Hill. Faramo, excuse me. Justin Hill and Nate Roberts. So that's a linebacker, a defensive end, and a tight end. This is a list that has a lot of variety, and it will take one last break here, and we'll figure out who Andrew has as his number one and number two guys here on Buckeye Talk. Andrew has his top five people on the Ohio State recruiting board who are, I'm not going to say muskets, but would be big pickups for Ohio State's 2025 recruiting class, which currently has eight players in it and is ranked fourth in the country. It's headlined by two five-star cornerback. Commence. We've ran through the first three. Well, that's three through five. Now it's time to get number one and number two. Andrew, let's start with number two. Who's the second most important person in this class for Ohio State? Yeah, th- this was kind of where I, I really struggled because I I wanted to pick two. I, like I, I was struggling between safeties because I wasn't going to put two safeties on this list, um, and I chose Fahim Delane. Uh, he is number two on my list. He is the safety out of good counsel in uh, in Maryland. Uh, he does have some crystal balls to Ohio State as well. Uh, he's the number one safety in the twenty four uh, in the two four seven sports composite rankings in the twenty twenty five class. Um, I was debating between him and Trey McNutt. Uh, Trey McNutt is also a uh, a safety prospect at Ohio State's recruiting. He's the number two safety in uh, in the class. He's the number one player in the state of Ohio. Um, Ohio State is recruiting him as a safety. Um, you know, some schools are recruiting him as a corner. So for me, though, I think Delane offers you a little bit more on on the back end in terms of kind of just size and things like that. He's bigger. Um, I think going out out of state and bringing in a guy like Delane would be, you know, a really big deal because. We've mentioned how ridiculous this cornerback class is, right? You know, you got Devin Sanchez, 
got Naheem Offord, who just committed uh, like two weeks ago. You got Blake Woodby, who's now kind of the forgotten man in this class, and he shouldn't be because he's like a top 75 recruit out of Baltimore and St. Francis Academy. And that's a really good football program. That's a great, you know, level of high school football. And if you, like I said, I've said this before, if you know who they are, you know that they play anybody. So you might not think Maryland has this level of high school football that, you know, California or Texas or Georgia or places like that have. Trust me, these schools, both of these guys, Delane and for Woodby, they go around and they play everybody. So the cornerback room is ridiculous. And if you add a safety, like the number one safety in the class, you have the number one and two corners in the class right now, and you have the number 10 corner in Blake Woodby. So you get three top 10 corners in term, in, including two of the top two, and then you bring in the number one safety. You want to talk about no fly zone. You want to talk about best in America. You want to talk about whatever, whatever thing you want to use to describe that secondary is now accurate. Whatever hyperbole there is, it's now true because that secondary would be absolutely ridiculous. And I look at this room and being like, man, if you can bring in a guy like Delane, like he is a guy who he can play in the box. I think he can play in the slot. I think you play him up high. You can play in a lot of different areas in a, in a, you know in a lot of different situations. Um, and, and I just I think that Fahim Delane would be a re- like just it's this is a list of you know kind of Ohio State's wants and kind of where I think they should be and where I think they are in terms of you know the twenty twenty five class. And not getting Delane is not the worst thing in the world. Certainly, I do understand that. Um, you know, cause you do already have a really talented secondary. There are other players like a Trey McNutt that you can go get, but watch the film for Fahim Delane. He's got great closing speed. He's a good tackler and bringing him in would make this secondary, frankly, or it would put this secondary at a level that is really hard to, um, like, it's really hard to just think of how good this secondary could be. I want to talk about both of them and okay, yeah. I think because I understand I, I get you got five spots, so you got to pick one or the other. But I think yeah. the point still stands here. Having both of those guys be in the class would be sure. phenomenal for the secondary recruiting class. Obviously, you've got your corners locked in already. And now you're working on your safeties with Fahim Delane, the number 25 player in the top safety in the country. And then Trey McNutt, the second best safety in the country, number 36 player out of Cleveland, Ohio, Shaker Heights High School. Up here in up here in our country, man. We 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 know a little bit about Cleveland, just a little bit, just a little bit here. When you watch these two on film, and you envision them in Ohio State's defense, where do they fit? Like, what spots do you think they fit into? Yeah, so Delane to me is definitely the guy that you feel more comfortable, kind of moving into the box a little bit. You definitely kind of feel you 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 feel more comfortable with him playing in a um, you know in a role that is more of your typical strong safety um, you know where he can kind of move down he can do it a little bit of different things he's he's a bigger player than uh, than Trey McNutt is like for you know for comparison's sake Delane is listed at six two and a half and 195 and McNutt is listed at six feet and 180 so you know he's two and a half inches taller Delane is and he's 15 pounds heavier at least that's according to 247 sports so yeah, I, I think Delane certainly kind of profiles that uh, that kind of mold, and then McNutt kind of profiles as your typical free safety, right? You know, like I said, he's getting recruited a lot as a corner, and and a lot of programs want him as a corner 
and he's got great cover skills. And this is a player that I think you want to have as your deep safety. Like you feel comfortable with him putting a lid on opposing offenses at the uh, kind of that deep third type of role. So, yeah, I, I think that those are the two type of roles that you you see for those guys. I mean, McNutt's a track athlete too. Like this is a – these are guys that in terms of stylistically I think would blend pretty well together. McNutt is interesting because it, he, he seems like – this in-state guy who understands that the pitches Ohio's best stay home. So is that a guy who is eventually going to fall in love with that idea? Or is he going to be like a guy like Jackson Carmen was where it's, I am no interest in staying home. I don't think that's enough to sell me on staying home. And so I'm going to go elsewhere. While Fahim Delane, obviously, yeah, there is momentum building towards Ohio state. And I do wonder if you got Devin Sanchez, you got Naheem offered in, and it seems like recruiting momentum is a real thing. And when guys start jumping on board, you see them kind of come one after another, after another, after another. And if the Fahim Delane thing pops at any point in the next month, it would seem like it's a part of that momentum that Tim Walton has built in that secondary. And Matt Guerrieri has come along and added to since he's taken over as a safety coach in that situation. But if it doesn't, I do start to wonder, hey, does it, lose some steam as we head into the summer months and maybe Fahim hasn't necessarily popped his decision. And either of those is on the table because we've seen that with national recruits where I've seen, I can speak from my own experience. I remember back during the 2022 class when they were having their running during the fall of, I believe 2021, I believe that was when they were having all that success. It might've been then or 2020. I can't remember, but they were having a lot of success and it felt like guys like Damani Jackson we're going to come on board. And he had all this momentum sending him towards Ohio State. I just remember talking to him. He was really intrigued about the idea of what was being built in that 2022 class. And it cooled. If he did, it didn't pop on it right away. And so he ended up cooling. And obviously he ended up committing to USC. And now he's at Alabama, which is very interesting because I think he chose Alabama before Nick Saban decided to retire. So that's a very interesting one right there. But I've, I've seen that before where momentum can sometimes – lead to some buzz with some other guys. And so now it's a matter of, okay, is he going to capitalize on that? Or is it going to turn into something where it's been three or four months? And so now things have cooled. So now you're working to build that momentum back up. But I do agree both of those guys needed to be on the list, even if, listen, you can't have everybody on the list. So I understand why between the two, if you were only going to have one, you went with the five-star who's the number one safety in the country, which Ohio State's been trying to land the number one safety in the country for a couple of years now. And Caleb Downs, they came up short. He ended up at Alabama. Nick Saban retires and get him anyway. K.J. Bolden, they were in that race as well. They came up short, and he ended up committing to Florida, and then I think he flipped to Georgia. Florida for State day, and then I'm Georgia, remember. yeah. Florida, yeah, Florida State, and then ended up flipping to Georgia, if I'm remembering that correctly. And so now here we are again in the 2025 class. They're shooting for the moon again, shooting for the stars again. Let's see if they can actually land on a star or will they have to land on the moon and have I, can they have a better safety class. So that brings us to our top guy. Andrew, so far we've had Fahim Delane. We'll say slash Trey McNutt. I'll give you both of those guys in that situation. As your number two, Madden Ferraramo. As your number three, the linebacker out of California, Justin Hill out of Winton Woods, the edge rusher, the top 150 edge rusher. And then Nate Roberts, the borderline top 100 recruit tight end out of Oklahoma, who is the most important recruit left on the board. So I'm really glad in a deep kind of twisted kind of way, and Ohio State fans, please don't get mad at me when I say this. 
that Ohio State uh, has some, in a weird way, I guess the silver lining would be, I'll put it like that, that Ohio State's offensive line has some some problems because that way we can just talk about more offensive linemen a lot. Uh, Micah DeBose, he's the number one guy I think that you you have to go get. And that would be a massive swing because Micah DeBose, he's the number 28 overall player in the class. He's the number five offensive tackle, and he's the number three player in the state of Alabama. And the reason I have him number one is for the typical reasons that you might think. He's a six foot five, 315 pound offensive tackle that he's athletic. He, I mean, he plays basketball. He's a shot putter in track. Like this is a guy that you look at and you see college tackle. There's not any of this, you know, maybe tweener, maybe he can play a guard and maybe we'll see what happens. You're going to start him at tackle. And if you play him at guard, you play him at guard and that's fine. But this is a guy who you bring in and you say, all right, he is a tackle. And you already have Carter Lowe, who is a four-star player, the number 79 overall player in the class. He's up to 315 as well. So you bring in two guys that are 6'5 and above 310. And you bring in two guys that are tackles. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about them kind of kicking inside immediately. You just look at them and go, they're tackles. They have the athleticism to play tackle. They have the mobility to play tackle. They have the bend to play tackle. Um, they just, they've got good punch. They've got the aggressiveness to play tackle. There's a lot that you like about those guys playing tackle and adding to, I mean, Ohio state fans have complained for forever and rightfully so that the offensive line recruiting has not been good enough. And I have kind of tried to not pump the brakes, but maybe tell people to slow down a little bit because sometimes recruiting rankings, especially in the offensive line are not everything because we're talking about the 2025 kids right now with Carter Lowe and Micah DeVos as your offensive tackles. Like if that's the case, best case scenario, best case scenario, you're probably talking about them making an impact for the 2026 season. So just, just keep that in mind that with offensive linemen, you are talking about development. And that is kind of why I have said, you know, Hey guys, like, if you don't bring in four or five stars in the offensive line, you don't bring in, you know, five top 100 kids. It's not the end of the world because you can develop these kids. And there is kind of a development curve on the offensive line that exists that that doesn't at other positions. So bringing him in, obviously, for the offensive line is a huge deal. Bringing him in for all these other kind of things is a big deal, et cetera, et cetera. However, he is also from Mobile, Alabama. And he grew up in Cleveland, like he grew up in the Cleveland area, and he's not a stranger to kind of what Ohio State football is. You know, he, he moved down, I think when he was like eight or nine years old, um, you know, he moved down south uh, when he was a young kid. Um, but when you're eight or nine years old, you can still kind of get a, a, a grasp of, of kind of what's happening in college football. And, you know, it sounds like he certainly kind of has that. And I talked to Naheem Offord's dad uh, on the phone after his commitment. And if you read that story, um, you know what I'm talking about. But if you didn't, please go check it out. One of the things that has always kind of been a hindrance for not just Ohio State, I want to be clear, this is a nationwide thing, is that especially programs in the North, but programs everywhere, were afraid to go into Alabama. They were terrified to go get kids from Alabama because they just looked at it and went, well, what's the point? 
like we're just going to waste a bunch of gas and we're going to waste a bunch of our time and it's not going to be worth it because Nick Saban's going to get that kid. Now, DeBose was committed to Georgia, but he decommitted in um, in late December, kind of right before Christmas. And everybody kind of, I think, thought at that time, OK, well, here comes Saban and here comes Bama and, and la-di-da, he's going to end up crazy and end up with the Crimson Tide. And that's certainly possible. Um, you know, that's certainly an option for DeBose, obviously. You know, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that's unlikely. It's just that now you kind of sense that there might be an opening. And going to get DeBose would really just do wonders for this class. Because like I said with Offord's dad, when I was talking to him, he was bringing this up. He was like, look, there are kids down here who would go to Ohio State if, mm-hmm. if Ohio State offered. Or if some of these other programs offered, they would go there. They would actually consider it because in Alabama, it kind of feels, I mean, if, you, if you're from Alabama, you know what I'm talking about. Um, or if you lived in Alabama or know people in Alabama or whatever, you kind of know what I'm saying. It's either Alabama or Auburn. You pick one of the two programs to root for. You pick one of the two programs to go to school if you're a high-level recruit, and that's kind of the end of it. And there's, there's really not a ton of overlap. And if you do leave the state, you go to Georgia. You know, you go to Florida, you, you, you stay close. There's not a lot of kids that leave that type of area to go to Ohio State or Michigan or whatever. And I just think that I've said this a lot. What a player would bring to the field is one thing. Kind of what they would represent is another. And I think adding DeBose on the field, what you bring into the offensive line room, et cetera, et cetera, that's a huge deal. But bringing in a kid from Alabama, Bringing in a kid who you can just kind of like Ohio State has not recruited Alabama well. Like I looked this up for the story about Offord, Ohio State in the two four seven sports composite rankings era has not signed one player from the state of Alabama, and that's yep. nineteen ninety nine. Yep. Now all of a sudden you're telling me you can get two? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a huge deal. So that's why uh, that's why I have Debose number one on my list. Naeem offered was to Ryan Day what Von Bell was to Urban Meyer. It was, you went down to the SEC and they stole one of their kids. And then they came back with that kid and they won a national championship with Von Bell as one of the starting safeties. Von Bell, Urban Meyer even says, Von Bell might be the most important recruit of the Urban Meyer era. And because of what it symbolized, what it meant, what it represented, Naeem offered represents that same thing of Nick Saban is gone. That trump card, that steal, double-plated, every security measure you could think of is gone. So where are these kids going to go? Because Alabama still brings has highly talented players every year. There's still plenty of top they're 50, still top gonna, Yeah, they're still going to bring in Alabama kids. Yeah. They, Alabama plays the football down there. And I'm not just talking about the football program. I'm talking about yeah. the state. There are elite players coming out of Alabama every single year. And to your point, as you just said, if they weren't going to Bama, they were going to Georgia. And if they weren't going to Georgia, they were at least staying in the SEC. So if you're going to sit here and tell me that Ohio State has a chance to get two of the three best players in Alabama, and one of them they got because Tim Walton is on another level recruiting right now, and so that's why you got him. And the other one you're getting in the same vein that maybe you got Donovan Jackson out of Texas is that this is an elite high-level offensive lineman with strong Ohio ties, which Ohio State has always done. They've always found those national guys with strong Ohio ties and been able to pull them out of places. And that's how you got one the Ohio State way and you got the other way one just because you're better at everybody else in the recruiting way. And you got him out of Alabama 
right after Nick Saban retires, because both of these kids are probably going to Alabama if Nick Saban doesn't retire. I think that's a maybe a fair assumption to make. It might be. It, it, it's. I would we say it's the likeliest that. option. I don't know if it's probable, yeah. but it's the likeliest okay. option. I think that's it's, what they say. It's probably the safest bet, even if it doesn't come true or not. That's probably the safest place to, to bet if, you, if Nick Saban doesn't retire. Nick Saban's not here anymore. And if Ohio State gets two of the top three players out of the state that belonged to the program that was home to the best college football coach of all time right after he retires – that represents something, and that represents – that spot's open right now for somebody to be – I don't know if anyone's ever going to get to the level Nick Saban is, but somebody has to take that role of, oh, we thought we had him, but then Alabama yeah. came in and Alabama won because they're Alabama. That spot's open right now, the, and Ohio State can start climbing towards being that. If you go into Alabama a month after Nick Saban retires and you get the top two players out of that state. Yeah, I was going to say there there is an opening and like look, it, it's not just like hey, it's there for the taking because you're going to also have to box out Georgia. Uh because Georgia's right there too and Georgia has the fortune, I guess if you'll call it that, of being located down in that part of the country, right? You know, they are down there already and it is easy for them to say the best players in the south stay in the south. It's it's this like for as much as people will say, oh, the kids don't come set from down, uh, from down south don't want to come to Ohio. They don't want to play in Ohio. Well, it's the same concept with Ohio kids. It's like the best players in Ohio go to Ohio State. Well, it's the same concept with the South, right? The best players in the South stay in the South. So Ohio State's got to kind of break that wall because there is. You're right. There is this kind of grim reaper role out there where you can just kind of like sit there and look and be like. What, what what's going on? You're looking over your shoulder. Alabama's got 13 kids committed on December 1st. And you're like, oh no, why do they have so few kids? They need a lot of things in their class. What's going on? Uh-oh. And you're just, you're, you're looking around and like, I don't mean this as like, a, I'm not trying to do a political bit, but it's the John Mulaney horse in the hospital bit where there is a part of, <laughs> there's a part of that bit. If you know the bit, it's very good. But he talks about, you just hear silence and you're like, what, what's, what's he doing now? What's going on? And you, you lose that with Nick Saban, you lose that with Alabama. And that role is there. That role is out there for Ohio state to be that kind of program, or maybe not even the full Grim Reaper. I'm not saying you have to go full Alabama, but you can play that role a little bit. You can be the, one of those programs. Maybe, I don't know if, uh, if you can replace them in, you know, in total, maybe it's, you know, to quote Moneyball, you're replacing them in the aggregate. You know, you have Georgia and Ohio State and Texas or whoever kind of fills that role. I think that that's certainly a possibility as well. So every spring heading into the summer, I used to write the same post every single summer because you would look at the recruiting rankings. And to your point with the Alabama, only have 15 recruits. Alabama would be like 27th or something in the recruiting rankings. And it's part of the reason why we say recruiting rankings are you take them with a grain of salt, and they really don't matter that much until you get to September, October, especially with how the recruiting calendar is now and so many schools using their official visits in June to do so. That's when you see a lot of classes get built. But Alabama would do – they'd get a little bit done early in that – late in that spring, excuse me, and all of a sudden they'd be like, don't say anything until the Alabama train gets rolling. Let's wait on the Alabama trend because then we'll have a better understanding of what this recruiting cycle might look like for everybody, 
because the Alabama train hasn't started yet. And then at some point in the middle of that summer, that Alabama train would start rolling and they'd be like 32nd. And then all of a sudden they'd be 22nd and then they'd be 12th and they'd be six. And then by the time you get to signing day, they've got the number one or number two class in the country. Plus they're flipping people from other different places. That's gone. The Alabama train finally made its last stop into the station, and it's not pulling out again, at least not the Nick Saban version of the Alabama train. We'll see what Kalen DeBoer can do with that train going forward. But that idea of, listen, I know everything looks good right now, but let's wait until after Alabama gets some things cooking before we have a conversation about this. That's now gone. And what that means for Ohio State is it potentially could be in a position to land two of the top three players out of Alabama. And it might start there and it might extend to other places in the South at a time when you're seeing the playoff expand to 12 teams. Ohio State seems to have hit a groove with his defensive recruiting. The offensive recruiting is at a high level right now as well. But when you mix in, Saban is gone. You mix in, to your point with Micah, this is an offensive lineman and Justin Fry is still in need of a signature get on the recruiting trail. When you mix in all these factors, I, I love it. I love that these are your top two. I love that these are your top two because it. the other three, yes, they're important. But I think there's a gap between these two and where the other three you have on this list, just simply because they represent something that just because of the positions the other guys play and the, the area of the country they're from, they yeah. just can't represent that the same way that getting two of the top three players out of Alabama can represent. You should get the text 614-350-3315. Andrew's talking to a lot of these guys. And when he talks to him, he texts you. He tells you. Uh, everything he was just telling you about talking to Fahim's dad, well, our texters had that information last week. <laughs> Two-week free trial, two ninety nine after 399 excuse me, after that, 614-350-3315. That'll wrap up this recruiting pod for Andrew Gillis. I am Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.